Welcome to another season and episode of Riding on Caffeine, the podcast where you can come along on a journey with a father and daughter as we attempt to write our first novels. I am Jonathan Franzone, and this is my daughter. I'm Reagan, also Franzone. So, Reagan, Happy New Year! Happy New Year! This is our third year recording this podcast, our third season, and so we thought we would dig into some New Year's type things. So as we are recording, what are you drinking this evening? I am drinking some holiday blend black tea with half and half in it. Yummy. Mm -hmm. Sounds good. It is. I'm having a little Jose Cuervo margarita. Mm. So. It also sounds good. Yes. So the first order of business, um, we had a goal this past year to finish our rough draft of our novel by the end of 2023. And so how did we do? <laughs> we did not. <laughs> we did not. I don't think we even got halfway there. Honestly. No, we're not even halfway through. So that was terrible. One of the things we decided to do was um, pick some consequences for not completing our novels. So what was your consequence for not completing your novel? So my consequence was um, derived from the idea that I am not very good at socializing with people Yeah. and tend to find it less than ideal to socialize with people. You're a bit of an introvert. <laughs> I'm extremely introverted. And so my consequence was to attend a four-day sleepaway camp thing that our church is part of. Yeah, young people camp. Young people camp. Um, so that's happening, I think, two weeks. Yay. I'll be gone for four days. Out of my comfort zone, out <laughs> of my own bed, surrounded by strangers. Forced to talk to a bunch of strangers. Should be interesting. Yes, that would be very good for you. Maybe. Yeah. And your consequence was? So my consequence has actually morphed. Initially, my consequence was going to be to read the entire Twilight series of books, which is just hell. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like. And so then you let up on me and let me off the hook. And now I only have to read the first Twilight novel. Yep. And after I read the novel, we're going to watch it together. Yeah. So that should be fun. <laughs> Watching it will be hilarious. I've actually yes. never read Twilight, so this will be interesting. So we will be punishing ourselves um, very soon uh, yep. for not completing our our novels. Hopefully we'll do better this year. Mm. Um, part of doing better is we're going to try to be more active with the podcast and with our website. And to that end... Um, to celebrate our third season and the new year, we are going to have a giveaway. Yay! So, um, we are giving away three books on writing. Um, they are Wordsmithy by Douglas Wilson. Uh, the subtitle is Hot Tips for the Writing Life. Hmm. It's a very excellent book. I've read it. Um, the second one we're giving away is On Writing and Writers by C.S. Lewis. Hmm. I have the book. I have not read it, but... I've perused several different sections. It looks really good. And then Adorning the Dark by Andrew Peterson. Mm. So Andrew Peterson is the author of the um, Wing Feather Saga yes. of books. Mm -hmm. um, excellent series. And he's also a musician. Oh. 
So he has uh, several albums uh, that you can get on Spotify um, that are really good. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I think that'll be a good giveaway. Yeah, so go to the website, writingoncaffeine.com, and right there on the homepage you will see a giveaway widget where you can enter your email, and there will be a couple other things you can do to get more entries. And um, hopefully you will be the one who wins these three excellent books. Mm-hmm. So looking back on uh, 2023 and the previous um podcast episodes we have spotify has um, something called wrapped for podcasters and so they kind of give you a summary of the last year in podcasting that's cool i didn't know that yeah it's not super detailed but it's kind of fun it's like the thing they do with you um with your music yeah Mm -hmm. like this is what you listen to this past year yeah um so our top episode Mm -hmm. from 2023 is world building yeah which it seems to be maintaining that spot of the the most listened to episode. I like that episode. Yeah, it was a great one. It's episode number five. If you're looking for it, we published it on December 29th, 2022. So just about a year ago. Mm-hmm. And also, um, they highlighted the fact that we are a global podcast. We have been streamed from multiple countries. Wow, look at us. <laughs> so the primarily U.S. Um, listeners, but also... Algeria. Interesting. I'm not even sure I could find Algeria on a map. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you to our our Algerian listeners. Yes, thank you, that one person. (laughs) Um, Canada. We have some listeners from Canada, Australia, Hmm. and Saudi Arabia. Interesting. (laughs) I'm not sure what the Saudis are, are finding in common with our writing podcast, but... Who knows? But welcome to you. Thanks for listening. Appreciate it. And so then our listeners' top podcast genres was kind of fun. So the number one spot was comedy. Interesting. (laughs) Yes. So our listeners have a great sense of humor. I love that. Um, Religion and spirituality. Okay. So we're unabashedly Christian, so it's no surprise that we have some Christian listeners. And then the arts, which Mm -hmm. makes sense. Yep. And then our listeners' top music genres... Do you want to take a guess at what those are? You probably already listened, looked at the list. Huh? I did, yeah. Okay. Well, what are the top genres? Um, pop. Right. A lot of pop listeners. Movie tunes. Which, honestly, that category might be me. It might be just you listening. I listen <laughs> when you release it, and that's, that's probably me. Right. So, <laughs> that, and then contemporary country. Yeah, that one surprised me. Mm-hmm. But... It is what it is. And finally, our listener demographics. So 71.4% female and 28.6% male. And interestingly, we had um, absolutely zero non-binary listeners. I love that for us. Or non-gender specific. High five. So, high five. Yes. Our listeners <laughs> are either male or female, as God intended. And so that brings us to, this is going to be a really short podcast. I'm sure we could stretch that out for a bit. i got a lot to say. Okay. We'll, we'll jump into it. So the feature of this podcast, we wanted to, aside from those um, few introductory matters, we wanted to have a Dumbledore debate. So yeah. Dumbledore from the Harry Potter series. 
you are of the opinion that Dumbledore is not a great guy. He's the worst. <laughs> He's the worst. And I am of the opinion that he is a good guy. So I will let you state your position first because you probably have a lot more to say than I do. And I'll probably just riff on what you say. Okay. So First, before I start laying into Dumbledore, I think we should state things that we both agree on. Okay. Okay. So we both agree that Dumbledore is a very powerful wizard. Correct. And that he is highly intelligent. Correct. Anything else you want to add? Anything else that we feel like we can have common ground on? He has a gray beard. <laughs> okay, good. All right. And he likes socks. <laughs> on the same page. Okay. First thing, my first issue with Dumbledore, right, is that he places Harry in the Dursleys' house. Okay. So that's a bad move, according to you. This is a bad move because we know from the books that the reason Dumbledore places Harry with the Dursleys is because Petunia carries Lily's blood. Correct. And as long as Harry can call that place home, which is part of his mother's blood, then Harry can't be attacked by Voldemort there. Right. Right. So Lily has absolutely no other family anywhere else except for these abusive people. <laughs> like, literally all of her family is dead except for Petunia? I don't think so. Well... <laughs> <laughs> right. So abusive. Literally, McGonagall's like, I don't think this is a good idea. And Dumbledore's like, this will be good for him. Abuse is good for kids. Abuse is good. <laughs> yeah, I haven't thought about that point. Yeah. It doesn't say whether there was other family. So you, you could assume that there were no other family members available. You could, I guess. And also on the, the plus point of putting him with the Dursleys. And I'm not sure whether he makes this point in the movies or... Or the books, or both, but um, the Dursleys are opposed to magic, and so they're going to raise Harry like completely out of the Wizarding world. He's not going to know anything about magic, and so I think it's Dumbledore who says that it's a good thing for him because um, he did he doesn't need to be worshipped all of his childhood growing up. Yes, you know he needs to be a normal boy and grow up and do normal things. I agree with that. I agree not having some sort of hero complex before you get into this is right. probably a good idea. But there's nobody else. <laughs> there's nobody else. Dumbledore could have been like, don't tell him he's famous. <laughs> Problem solved. <laughs> also, oh, you said something else. Or maybe there were others, but they were all worse than the Dursleys. <laughs> Goodness gracious. I know that he wasn't what was it they were saying you were saying that he needed to be around non-magic people right okay here's here's another thing right this could have completely backfired on dumbledore oh yeah right what if like instead of you know going on to become like the amazing person that he was he went like he handled abuse differently and decided to turn his back on the wizarding world because they abandoned him for 11 years <laughs> right like he could have become the like tom riddle 2.0 be yeah. like, forget all these guys. They abandoned me. Yeah. Well, I mean, he didn't, but bad plan, man. Or even worse, you know, the abuse could have turned him into a bully once he figured out he could use magic. Yeah. But it didn't. <laughs> Somehow. You have another point? Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. Point two is once Dumbledore um, brings Harry into the wizarding world... Harry is 
you know, brought into Hogwarts, and he's immediately confronted by Snape. Yes. Who is also openly abusive of Harry. <laughs> yes. And Dumbledore does nothing about it. Because abusing kids is fine, right? What? Well, he's kind of an equal opportunity abuser. Like, all of the kids, you get the sense, at Hogwarts are in extreme danger. Uh, all the time! <laughs> right. Like, what is wrong with this guy? <laughs> yeah. He's like, the heir of Slytherin is on the loose. Darn. Go back to school. Guess some kids are just gonna die. <laughs> <laughs> well, when when it looks like people are gonna start dying, he sends them home. After three people have already almost died. Most they were just petrified. <laughs> Well, if you could see my face, podcast. (laughs) I just... Okay, here's another thing. During the whole original opening of the Chamber of Secrets, right? Right. Kids start getting petrified, and then finally they start having real big issue when someone dies. Right. Moni Myrtle. Dumbledore is aware that only the heir of Slytherin can open the Chamber of Secrets. Right. Dumbledore, as we find out in the, what is it, the Order of the Phoenix? No, the Half-Blood Prince. We find out in the Half-Blood Prince that Dumbledore knows Tom Riddle is a parcel tongue. And he still lets them get rid of Hagrid. He has got to know that this dumb oaf cannot be the, the heir of Slytherin. Well, he does stand up for him. Okay. I mean, he doesn't throw down his Dumbledore powers, but I think at that point he's just trying to work within the system. But what about Tom? Because he knows he's a Parseltongue, and he knows the heir of Slytherin. Oh, you're talking about, like, the younger Dumbledore. Yeah. Yeah. So he just continues letting Tom exist in the schools when he's opened the Chamber of Secrets. And then, right, come back around, second time the Chamber of Secrets is opened, he, first of all, lets people assume that it's Harry. Right. Second of all, lets them throw Hagrid back into Azkaban with Dementors. (laughs) Yeah, I think I think during that time he was just trying to work within the system, and he did stand up for him. Not enough. The, he could have done so much more. The younger Dumbledore was probably not as wise as the older Dumbledore, and so he was he was not making good decisions. Well, we know that young Dumbledore didn't make good decisions, don't yes. we? Yes, we do. Because young Dumbledore started an anti-Muggles situation with Grindelwald. Yeah, and then. When Grindelwald left on his special little trip that he didn't get to go on because his sister Ariana killed their mother, mm-hmm. he threw a fit about it, got in a fight with his brother, and killed his sister. Yeah, he's, so, he's got a, a ugly past. Yeah, bad guy. <laughs> well, Let's talk about the fact that he was best friends with Grindelwald. Have you seen the Fantastic Beasts series, the movies? I saw the first one, but not the other ones. So in the other ones, they make it explicit that Dumbledore was a lover of Grindelwald. Gross. Yeah. Bad guy. Bad guy. (laughs) I'll agree on that point. But that is the younger Dumbledore, so. Okay. I think the one in the Harry Potter series specifically is is a a better because of his his bad past. Well, here's the thing. The only actions that I am judging are the ones that are specifically in the books. Because I feel like... While J.K. Rowling had some hand in adapting the books to film, I don't feel like they're quite canon. Yeah. And then also, I don't take in the Fantastic Beasts because I don't think that's canon. That's not literature. Next point. Dumbledore raised Harry for slaughter. This is probably the best point that you make. I was saving it for last. Yeah. Not really. I think I have a couple other points. He knows that Harry is a horcrux. 
He knows that Harry's going to have to die. Do you think he knows or he suspects? I think he knows. Yeah. The snitch said, I open at the close. Yeah. Rude. (laughs) Sir. Hello. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) He knew Harry was going to have to die. And so I feel like there are better ways to go about that. You know, like how about educating Harry on what Horcruxes are? Well, he was supposed to start in the beginning of that. Like he was going to be taking him along. That's why he ends up in that cave with him feeding the the poison to Dumbledore. Yes, that is when they get, what is it that they get? The, The necklace. They were looking for the necklace, but it was a fake. Right. Dumbledore is aware that Harry, even if he doesn't know Harry's a Horcrux, I don't think they know that until the Half-Blood Prince, when they get the memory from Slughorn. Right, yeah. But he is aware that Voldemort has a part of himself in Harry. He says that in, like, the first book. Voldemort left a part of himself in you. Yeah. And that's why your scar hurts every time you're near him. That's true, yeah. So he knew Harry was going to have to die. And he does distance himself from Harry before that. Is it the Order of the Phoenix? Yes, he like abandons him for the entire year. Right, because he doesn't want to open himself up to um, Voldemort and then have Voldemort realize that he could use Harry against him. Right, but here's the thing, right? Because the whole book, Dumbledore is ignoring Harry and running away from him. Right. Harry's getting, once again, abused by a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher. Once again, stuck with Snape, getting abused by him, because he's trying to teach him occlumency so people can't read his mind, right? And Harry's being a butt about it because he doesn't want to hang out with Snape. Right. So how hard is it to sit the kid down and be like, hey, Voldemort can sometimes read your mind. Let's practice occlumency. Maybe it's like the game, you know, once, <laughs> once you realize it, then it's over. <laughs> So if he does that to Harry, then Harry will be thinking that, and then Voldemort will know, and it will be direct confirmation to Voldemort that he can use Harry. <laughs> Whatever the case, I think I think Dumbledore is honestly trying to do what's best for Harry. I don't think so. I think Dumbledore is trying to do what's best for the, the majority of the people. But that's also true. I don't think he really cares about Harry that much, except for keeping him alive long enough to die because he wants to get rid of Voldemort. Yeah, maybe. I mean, he does want to get rid of Voldemort. That is his ultimate goal. Right, but at the expense of children? Let's talk about another part. During the war, right, when Harry leaves Hogwarts, Dumbledore drafts children into the war. He literally gets a bunch of children to fight a war for him. Which part is this? When they're fighting at the castle. Oh, in the very end, like um, the Deathly Hallows? Yeah. They don't send kids home. No. They're like, hey, go fight those Death Eaters out on the front porch. (laughs) Right. Because that's a good idea. (laughs) What? Well, it's either that or die. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah, that's probably not a good, not a good look. No, definitely not a good look. (laughs) And he, he... He definitely frequently puts young children in danger by not shutting down schools or not taking care of issues. Yeah, that's true. In a timely manner. Well, if he acted completely responsibly as an adult would, then it wouldn't be a children's book series or young adult children's series. This is true. This is true. 
So part of it has to exist because you need the kids in danger. Otherwise, it's a boring book. Okay, here's another point. Snape comes to Dumbledore and tells him about the prophecy that Voldemort knows about. After Voldemort has decided that Harry is the one that is going to bring him down and not Neville. Once Voldemort has made the decision, Snape realizes that Lily is in danger. Mm-hmm. And he comes to Dumbledore and he says, you have to save Lily. And Dumbledore says, well, what are you going to do for me? Right? And then Snape's like, well, I'll be a double agent for you. Mm-hmm. He says, okay, I'll keep Lily safe. And he puts the Fidelius charm on their house so that nobody knows where they are. Right. He lets Peter be the secret keeper. First of all, Peter Pettigrew. Yeah, that was a dumb move. Bad plan. <laughs> then, afterwards... After he knows that Peter's the secret keeper, Voldemort kills Lily and James. Right. And then Snape comes to Dumbledore. This is something that we see in Snape's memories. Right. Yeah. Um, in the um, the pensive. Snape comes to Dumbledore and says, you told me you were going to save her. And he said, Dumbledore says to Snape, well, they chose the wrong person to be their secret keeper. Bruh. <laughs> <laughs> what? No. <laughs> Dumbledore's like, not my fault. Yeah, why couldn't Dumbledore be the secret keeper? <laughs> or why couldn't Dumbledore have been like, you really want this squirrely guy to be your secret keeper? It kind of looks sure? like a rat. This is a bad plan. <laughs> I really don't think this is a good idea. Right. <laughs> Dumbledore is not stupid by the time they get to this point. Yeah. Dumbledore is wise when they get to this point. You can tell because he's very powerful and he's like, actively working towards getting rid of Voldemort the first time. Yeah. He had to have known that Peter was shady in some way. Yeah. He should have suspected at least. Yeah. That was a bad move. That was a bad move. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I'll give you that one. (laughs) Poor form. Poor form. (laughs) Uh, Here's another one. This one's kind of minuscule compared to the other ones. The house points at the end of the first year. Yeah. When Slytherin wins and then he's just like... 87 points to Gryffindor <laughs> for no reason. Like he did all those cool things. Yeah, they broke all the rules. Here's some points. He defeated the Dark Lord. <laughs> no, he didn't. Yeah, he did. Harry did not defeat the Dark Lord in the first book. He punched Voldemort in the hands with his face. What? <laughs> Voldemort is stuck to the back of what's his name's face, the head. Yeah. And he grabs Harry's face and then he dissolves. Yeah. And then Voldemort just runs off. Yeah. I don't know. I feel like that was a little much, but... Squirrel, not Quirrel. Quirrel. Okay, <laughs> why do you... kind of squirrely. Why do you... Okay. <laughs> Here's another point. There's a curse on the defense against the dark curse portion. P- position. Position, yeah. Everybody is aware of the curse. Yeah. Right? Tom Riddle put the curse there because he didn't get the job. Right. There is an active job at the Ministry of Magic that is Curse Breaker. Arthur Weasley is literally that job. Is he? Yes. I didn't know that. Why didn't they break the curse? (laughs) Maybe it was too powerful because it was Tom Riddle's curse. Dumbledore could have broken it. That's true. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. That's a good one. Maybe he knew Snape wanted it so bad so he wanted to leave it cursed so Snape wouldn't take it. Why would it be bad if Snape had it? Because he might be tempted back down the dark path. I don't know, that's weak. I'm just grasping at straws at that point. (laughs) 
<laughs> okay, here's my last argument. All right. Dumbledore knows that Voldemort is after Lily and James. Right. They are actively in hiding, literally witness protection program. Yes. With an infant. And this is the time that Dumbledore decides to say, hey, can I borrow your invisibility cloak? <laughs> Excuse me? <laughs> no. No, you can't. What if they need to escape? They did need to escape. And guess what? They couldn't because they didn't have an invisibility cloak. Yeah. Because Dumbledore was obsessed with finding the Deathly Hallows. Well, they were probably not as important back then. Like, they were important, but not like Harry Potter's parents. I mean, they were Harry Potter's parents, but he wasn't Harry Potter then. He was just an infant. No, but the Dark Lord was specifically after them. Yeah. And Voldemort was after Harry specifically. Yeah. To kill an infant. I mean, it's not good, but he was trying to defeat him, so he needed the cloak so he could try to get the the Hallows. For what? I don't know. Because <laughs> he was a little obsessed from his youth. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. He's just not... He's very powerful, and he's, like, got a lot going on in his head. Like, it's obvious that he's, like, trying to get rid of Voldemort, but I just feel like he goes about it the wrong ways. Yeah, maybe he's just not, like, good with people. <laughs> Are you telling me Dumbledore's autistic? Yeah, maybe a little. <laughs> he's on the spectrum. Oh, my goodness. He's extremely high-functioning, though. <laughs> he's like Elon Musk of wizards. <laughs> I don't think I have any more arguments at this time. Um, actually, yes, I do. Because I just thought of one. The Triwizard Tournament. Oh, I was hoping you didn't bring that up. <laughs> that, that's, that might be the best argument. Let's play a game called Endangering Children's Lives. Literally, people die. Yeah. Children die. Why don't they make this for grown-ups? Well, it was 17 and older, which you could assume those were adults. But the bad thing is, like... Harry's name gets in there. Dumbledore knows there shouldn't be a fourth name, and he still lets him play. He's like, well, the cup said so, so we have to do it. It's a legally binding contract. From who? Harry didn't put his name. Right, and it's not It's not like it's going to like kill him if he doesn't play or something. Right. So. Or even I, if it did, he could have said, Harry, you know, you're going to show up, but you're just going to sit on the bench. Right, just stand there. Literally right. just show up. Show up and do nothing. And he still is, you know, letting the kids participate. Like, yeah. Goodness gracious. Yeah, maybe Dumbledore's not so great. <laughs> <laughs> Endangering children. Endangering children. In every single book. Yes. Also, here's another one. In the third year, when they think Sirius Black has escaped, which actually, Sirius Black has escaped, right? He has escaped, yeah. Dumbledore just agrees to let Dementors onto the grounds. Yeah. And he knows they're attached to the Dark Lord. And he knows that they're not going to, like, obey the contract to not get children. Right. They literally start, like, sucking Harry's soul out. On the train. <laughs> On the train? Before On he the gets Quidditch there. field? Yeah. Bruh. Tell me, like, some random Hufflepuff didn't get their entire soul sucked out and we just didn't see it. <laughs> and nobody cared because they were a Hufflepuff. They're just snacking on Hufflepuffs. <laughs> Left and right. That's their snack time. That does make for a good book. <laughs> maybe maybe not such a good guy. And maybe that's just the appeal of his character is that he is so powerful. But, you know, because he, he handles all these things in not the best manner, it does endanger the children. Mm -hmm. And so 
that's part of the excitement. Like mm-hmm. you have access to the super powerful wizard, but it's not always great. <laughs> yeah. Honestly, I think he would have been a better minister of magic than he would have been a Hogwarts headmaster. Yeah, probably. Like, that would have been a much better role for him to go into. I don't know why he ended up... Keep him around adults. Right. Like, (laughs) keep him... Let let McGonagall be the headmistress. Yeah. And let Dumbledore be the minister of magic. That way, the adults do the crazy, dangerous stuff. Mm Mm-hmm. And McGonagall can, you know, take care of the children. Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah. All right. That is my Dumbledore was actually secretly a bad guy argument. Those are really good. Thank you. I have no arguments against. <laughs> <laughs> no, that was that was really good, yeah. I think I think he's a good guy, like I said, but I think um just the complexity of his character makes for a better story. So I will concede that maybe he's not the best guy that you think he is the first time you read it. This is the thing that really bothers me is because the first time you read it, you love him. Yeah. Like he's so awesome and he's like doing his best to protect Harry. Every time I read them, I like him less. And that's what bothers me. And I'm trying to figure out if it's because every time I read them, I'm older or because every time I read them, I am starting to understand more. Maybe Dumbledore's problem is that he's still sort of stuck in that youth with Grindelwald Mm -hmm. where they were looking for the the hallows Mm -hmm. and he grew up into this old wizard who's super powerful and then he sees harry almost like a younger himself Mm -hmm. like a younger dumbledore and he wants to bring him into that sort of world Mm -hmm. which isn't the best yeah it's a good story and it still cuts you when he dies in the half-blood prince it does (laughs) it does with harry just frozen can't do anything about it. I know. So I think that was really good writing on J.K. Rowling's part, which I feel like I could go into a whole nother argument about like the inconsistencies and weirdness of the books. Like there are just some things that don't make any sense. Like here's the thing that really bothers me since we're on a slamming Harry Potter situation here. The fact that wands change allegiance every time you get disarmed does not make sense because now there's kids like first years running around Hogwarts who got disarmed like in a duel and their wands just don't work for them anymore. They have to go get new ones. <laughs> yeah, that doesn't make sense. What? That doesn't make sense at all. Also, here's another thing that's weird to me about wands. There are curses that are illegal. The unforgivable curses, right? Okay, right. Why don't they enchant the wands so that they're unable to cast those curses? Because that's like the wizard form of big government. You don't want that. They have a wizard second amendment. (laughs) (laughs) So just letting people run around knowing how to do the killing curse? Yeah, they have a right to bear wands. (laughs) You have a right to murder people? Well. It's not like it's a protective spell. I mean, it could be. But they're illegal. I mean, if Bellatrix is coming at you, I guess is anybody going to complain that you offer? No, I don't know. I mean, probably in the you know leftist liberal literary world, they would like. There's a lot of them, especially in like the Doctor Who series, where you can only ever defend by not dying yourself. But yeah, I don't. Lord forbid you cause harm to someone who's attacking you actively. I guess I don't agree with like keeping people from protecting themselves. But what about like the Cruciatus curse or the Imperius curse? Yeah, there's probably no reason to have those. Yeah, like you could at least ban those like from wands. 
And then you could have this really cool like side story about like getting like underground made wands where there's no curses like rejected from them and yeah. people are getting like secret non-government approved wands and all kinds of stuff. Like that would have been cool. Yeah. You could have like shady wand makers slipping in, slipping in wands that are like unlocked. Yeah. Into the general populace and then they accidentally use them. Yeah. Because they think it doesn't work. Right. <laughs> So many more interesting things could have happened. <laughs> that could be very interesting. And it also doesn't really make sense to me that you can just, like, make up spells. Like, anybody can just make up a spell and it works. How? Is there an instance of that? Snape makes up um, Sectopsempra. Right. There's a time, there's a point in which I think Harry uses, like, a made-up spell. But he does use several of the ones in the Half-Blood Prince. Yeah. That Snape made Ron up. Ron says, eat slugs. That's not a spell. Yeah, that's really just st- stupid and inconsistent. Like... Like, that's not an actual spell. If you spell. can just make up a spell, I don't understand... Like, I feel like the magic system is just really undefined. Because what what makes something a spell or not? Because... It has if, to be in Latin. No, because Ron says, eat slugs. I think that was just for being funny. Or trying to be funny. Okay. Maybe. But... Okay, so it has to be in Latin? Or maybe it was a non-verbal spell, and he just said eat slugs while he was casting it. Because Ron knew the Latin for eat slugs. Right. Oh my goodness. I don't know. I just have a lot of thoughts. I do, I just feel like, to our listeners, I do actually enjoy Harry Potter. I'm just partially playing devil's advocate. Yeah. And partially am annoyed with inconsistencies in children's novels, so... <laughs> they are children's novels. I feel like there's a lot more inconsistency in children's novels. Oh, yeah. Because, like, first of all, kids don't care. Yeah. And second of all, it makes it simpler. Right. For them to understand if you can just make up a spell and it works. Yeah, if it's too specific, like the Sanderson magic, then... And, and he does this, say this, like, the less specific it is, the more mysterious and awe-inspiring it is. In that sense, it is nice to have a magic that you can... Just make up new spells. Like, it makes me curious about if she did write it for more grown-up type people, how would she define the magic system? What is it about Harry that makes him more powerful than Ron? Like, does he have... Is it, like, a level? Like, do you have, like... Or is he just powerful because... It seemed, just on reading and watching the movies, to me that some people just have innately better magic abilities. Multiple people can learn music, but some people are just inherently better at it. Mm. Like, they have a natural talent for it. And I think that's the case with Harry and Jenny Weasley. Mm-hmm. And then some people just study a lot harder, like Hermione, mm-hmm. which is what makes her better. Right. And then there's just Ron. <laughs> can, I, can I also say one more thing about Dumbledore? Because I just thought of something else. Absolutely. When Dumbledore dies, in his will, he gives Hermione the the book. Right. Um that has the clue about the, the, the Deathly Hallows in it. Yeah, the children's it. tales. Mm-hmm. Uh, the Tales of Beetle the Bard. Yep. He gives Harry the snitch, 
Yeah. Which has the, the the stone in it. Right. And he also gives Harry the Sword of Gryffindor, which, by the way, he knows is going to get taken away by the Ministry. He yeah. just gives it, I think, probably as a clue that you could kill Horcruxes with the sword. Yeah. And then he gives Ron the Deluminator. And when Ron leaves, yeah. right, Ron runs away because he gets all butthurt about what? He thinks Hermione and Harry are hitting it off or something. Yeah. Something he just gets super jealous. Yeah. But he had been we- wearing the... The necklace. The necklace for a while, and so the... The spirit of Voldemort gets in you and makes you irritable. Right. So he gets butthurt and leaves, right? And he's got the Deluminator. And he, like, clicks the Deluminator and he hears Harry and Hermione talking about them so he knew where to find them again. Like, it, like, transports him back to them. Yeah. He says, like, I think Dumbledore knew that I would get lost. How rude is that? (laughs) Dumbledore just assumed Ron was going to get butthurt and peace out? He knew Ron. (laughs) <laughs> rude if I was Ron I would be offended he prepared him for that for that case that's good Dumbledore he's like this dude's gonna need to get back because he's kind of a hot head <laughs> rude also I, I guess I'm coming into your camp like why didn't Dumbledore do Dumbledore Dumbledore <laughs> why didn't Dumbledore do something about that lady that comes in and takes over Umbridge Umbridge she was the worst. Like, she was physically abusing children. Yeah, why didn't he do something about her? Who knows? Because, oh, goodness gracious. It literally takes an army of children to get rid of her. Yeah. And centaurs. And centaurs. And a giant. And a giant. <laughs> oh my goodness. Grumpy. She's the worst. She was the worst. Okay, here's another part that's like weird about Dumbledore. In the first book, Dumbledore becomes aware... That Voldemort is looking for the Philosopher's Stone. And so Dumbledore thinks to himself, in his big boy, smart wizard brain, you know it's a really great place to keep this? In the school with all the children. <laughs> and then sets up a bunch of traps that are supposed to let them not be found. That literally children get through. They're 11 years old and they make it through all of the things preventing them from getting to the Philosopher's Stone. Well, that just makes a good kid's story because, you know, kids are great and adults are stupid. I wouldn't knock him for that because that is just good good storytelling. It's good. Okay, it's good. From the point of J.K. Rowling, that is a great story. From Dumbledore, this is bad planning. That's true. Let's put the Philosopher's Stone up here with the kids and also tell them not to go to the third floor. Because <laughs> why? Because there's a three-headed dog in that room that'll bite your head off. And then a kid goes in there and gets her head bitten off. And what's Dumbledore going to say? I told him not to go to the third floor. It was against the rules. Eleven-year-olds don't listen to grown-ups. It was a dangerous place. I mean... Yeah. It was not a safe school. What about the squid in the lake? Yeah, the huge squid. There was a forest with all sorts of things in it. Werewolves. Centaurs, Voldemort. <laughs> Voldemort. The game, the Quidditch game. Like, How did Dumbledore not know that Voldemort was on the back of Quirrell's head? That is, that is a really good question. I guess Voldemort still had enough power to conceal himself well. I don't know. Maybe Dumbledore just thought it was funny. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's not like he could do anything. <laughs> Professor Quirrell comes back from his trip around the world, starts acting all squirrely and weird. Right. And Dumbledore's like, that's Voldemort back there. <laughs> Stuck on the back of his head? Hey, Snape. Look at that. <laughs> Isn't that funny? He's wearing a turban to cover it up. 
your turban stinks. <laughs> <laughs> I love that in the Philosopher's Stone. There's a scene in the book where it talks about how Fred and George have enchanted snowballs to bounce off of the back of Quirrell's turban. Yeah. And he's like running away and they're literally hitting Voldemort in the face with snowballs. <laughs> they're snowballing Voldemort in the face. <laughs> that's awesome. I forgot about that. All right. I think that's all the beef I have with Harry Potter. So, um, we did make some New Year's resolutions for 2023. I think the main resolution was to write every day. That didn't happen. (laughs) And to finish our manuscripts. That certainly didn't happen. Mm -mm. This year, probably just the same. Maybe not every day, but more. And definitely want to finish the manuscript um, by the end of this year. Absolutely. In 2024. Are we going to have to come up with new consequences? Yeah. If you don't finish your book by the end of 2024, you have to read the second Twilight novel. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Well, maybe after I read the first one, I'll love it so much that I'll read the second. That would be my punishment. (laughs) (laughs) I don't think that's going to happen. Especially after, um, was that one episode we did and you were telling me about the love triangle with Edward and Jacob and Bella and Bella's... Not even fertilized, fertilized egg. egg child. Yikes. That's weird. It's real weird. <laughs> it's real weird. <laughs> Ugh. Yuck. Yeah. yeah. No, we definitely want to finish the manuscript. Um, this past year I read all of the C.S. Lewis Chronicles of Narnia books. I'm thinking this year um, I probably will reread Harry Potter. I haven't read it in a few years. Yeah, it's been a while for me, too. So, I'll probably go through and read those. I was talking to you earlier about uh, Brandon Sanderson's fourth um, novel coming out in December of 24 mm-hmm. in the Stormlight series. I don't know if he released the title yet or not, but I was seriously contemplating rereading mm. the first three in preparation to get that one. But yeah. Those are big books. They're very big books. I did read most of them, like, in under a month <laughs> when I read them. Because they're so good. You just Oof. devour them. I have to listen to them. I think The the Way of Kings I actually read in, I think it was three or four days. Yeah. <laughs> That's a big book. It is a big book. So what are you currently reading or have recently finished reading? Recently finished, I read... I'm sorry, let me pull up my Goodreads here because... I read a book called Daughter of the Pirate King by Trisha Levenseller. It was not good. I gave it one star. Ooh, ouch. Coming from you, that must have really stank. It it was atrocious. <laughs> um, not, definitely not the worst book I've ever read, but um, it was pretty bad. It was like a pirate book, and she had to get this map from this enemy pirate ship, and the whole time... She's like alluding to the fact that she has some huge secret. Nobody can find out my secret. And guess what? She's a mermaid. <laughs> like that was like the big reveal at the end. The was, big reveal. She's, she's a, mermaid. a mermaid. And literally in the first chapter, I wrote a note on my little app that I use to write notes on bo- about books. And it's like page 12. I bet she's a mermaid. <laughs> so no surprise there. No surprise. I finished reading The Hunger Games again. Yeah. Um, that new Hunger Games movie came out, which I refused to watch. 
but it got me kind of in a Hunger Gamesy mood. Okay. So I finished that, and it was um, kind of an annotation read. I'm currently reading The Catching Fire, which is the second Hunger Games book. Okay. And I'm reading The Time of Contempt, which is the second Witcher book. Uh, I started reading The Warded Man, but I haven't really gotten very far in that. And then The Return of the Wizard King by Chad Corey, which I'm about like a third of the way through. And also The Hobbit. And also, yeah, well. Sort of. <laughs> we should definitely finish that one this year. We should. Yes. So, um, I've only really got two books. And we're, full disclosure, we're actually recording this before the new year. Um, so I'm almost finished with Ayn Rand's Atlas Shrugged. You've got to finish that yes. before the end of the year. I'm like 89%. I think there's about 200 pages left in the book. Power through, homie. So I am going to finish that in 23. So it's actually gotten pretty good towards the end. I'm reading a lot of pages in it at a time. And then I'm also listening to The Desert Spear, which is the second book after The Warded Man. Mm-hmm. Um, it's been really good. There's more more sexy scenes than I would like. <laughs> <laughs> but the story's so good and I'm kind of invested that um, I will finish the book. I think most of that's through now, hopefully. And I think there are two books after this. I'm not sure I'll go on to read those. I may try something else. Just to take a break from that series. I think you would really like the Witcher books. Yeah, maybe I'll try that for a change since you're reading one of mine. The Waterman? Yeah. Sort of reading. <laughs> sort of. I'm going to have to get it on audiobook. With books like, like epic fantasy books, I tend to do better with the audio. Just because I read so slowly with those because I'm trying to process all the information. And my brain just kind of absorbs it faster through the years. I found that I can do either reading it or listening to it, but whichever I start the book on, I have to finish it that way. Mm. I can't start an audiobook and then finish reading it or vice versa. I can. Like, it will just totally mess me up. I think I got about a third of the way through The Way of Kings before I switched to audio. I was like, mm mm. <laughs> can't do it. Can't do it. Well, thank you for joining us in this episode of Writing on Caffeine. We hope you'll join us again in two-ish weeks. Please subscribe wherever you find podcasts. If you are so inclined, leave us a review. Five-star reviews are preferable. And don't forget to enter our giveaway for three books on writing. And be sure to visit the website, writingoncaffeine.com, where you can view the show notes and subscribe to our email list so that you never miss an episode. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. This is a comb. Oh, I thought you had like a cereal bar in your pocket. (laughs) It's a harmonica. I'm going to play now.